Hello everyone and welcome back to the airport, your one-stop shop for everything when it comes to the royal family. We are going to go through all the stories this week. There's been quite a lot going on, uh, including a lot of headlines about the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, despite the fact that we haven't actually seen them physically for some time. But when you are the world's biggest couple, you are still going to make news uh, regardless. Um, But it has been busy for every single member of the royal family. And we're going to be catching up with each of them one by one. It has been the first time we've seen the Cambridges alongside the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall this week. They were uh, side by side at an engagement in Loughborough in the UK at a defence medical rehab centre. And it was really the first time we saw William and Charles, father and son, on an engagement uh, with their other halves. And uh, nice to actually get a bit of an insight into uh, their relationship. They were extremely close. We saw them... uh, playing around on one of the elements of the engagement. We saw William uh, testing out wheelchair basketball and Charles sort of pushing him towards the other side of the court. Uh, It was a sight to behold, I will say that. Um, But we also saw a lot from the Duchess of Cambridge this week. Her voice gets louder and louder as she gains confidence. Uh, She continued her whistle-stop tour of the UK, heading over to Northern Ireland and Scotland, uh, all in support of her early childhood survey, which has now come to completion. Over 200,000 people took part in the survey, making it one of the biggest, I think, that the UK has seen when it comes to surveys in this particular area of expertise. We saw her travel to Aberdeen in Scotland to a social cafe first visited by the Duke and Duchess of Sussex and another location uh, called the Social Bite. And we had Kate speak to staff and customers uh, about the long-lasting impact of childhood experiences and really why this five big questions on the under fives, which is the official title, why the survey means so much to her. It, of course, sparked a UK-wide conversation on raising the next generation of children. And it's seen Kate really step out into, I'd say, a more confident role. We've seen her quietly over the recent months uh, pick up a little bit of steam, I think, uh, oh, shouldn't be criticised too much for saying this, but there had been times where it felt like she wasn't doing a lot. And we're now at a point where I think she's really realising the impact that she can have uh, when using her platform wisely. And this work with the early years, which is a lifelong project for her, she plans to continue with this at least for the next decade, focusing on the impacts of childhood experiences and from parents' perspective, child's perspective, and carer's perspective. So it's really something important for her. I'll actually have some news on this later on in the show, so stick around for that. Uh, We're actually going to hear some really candid remarks from Kate about all of the work that she has been doing and her own experiences when it comes to motherhood. I was at a Kensington Palace briefing this week, so I will share much more from that later in the show. But until then, let's talk about the Sussexes, because they were out and about, leaving Canada for the first time since they really sort of settled down there post uh, leaving their lives as senior members of the royal family, paying a visit to Stanford University in San Francisco 
on Tuesday this week, where they attended a brainstorming session that lasted several hours with professors and academics at the prestigious university. Palace sources confirmed this was all part of research that they're doing for their Sussex Royal Foundation, because, of course, this is the big project that they're focused on right now. They're really trying to establish this new charitable organisation and some of the initiatives that will play key roles within that. So they travelled, not just them, I will add, they also brought uh, a couple of members of new staff with them who will be involved in this. Uh, new foundation of course they're very much based in North America now we heard this week that they have wrapped up the roles of all of their uh, working staff here at Buckingham Palace that means that really they'll have no office representing them in the royal family so in the future if there is a key engagement for the family such as Trooping the Colour which is the Queen's uh, birthday parade Anyone involved in that for the Sussexes will be on loan from another team. And that's how it works for less senior members of the royal family. But yes, this visit to Stanford University saw them greeted by the university's president, uh, Mark Tessier-Levine, who personally escorted them around the campus and really spoke to them uh, or listened to them about some of the things that they wanted to achieve with their Sussex Royal Foundation. I think we've seen them really making some smart decisions and careful moves when it comes to setting up this charity. This all started with the JP Morgan Summit that they attended in Miami. When was this now? Two weeks ago. And for them, they're really establishing themselves in different areas of the philanthropic landscape. We, of course, saw them in Miami speaking in front of hundreds of investors, old and new. There were people from the world of social media, celebrity, sport, music. And it was a real great way to start things off. I will correct one thing whilst we're on the subject. There were a lot of reports suggesting that the couple had cashed in a good million or so dollars from this appearance. Sources tell me that they were paid absolutely nothing. And this was really about going there to establish themselves on a new stage in front of a new audience. This is their first time really out as uh, non-working royals. Of course, they are still members of the royal family. And so that continued this week with a visit to Stanford University, where they're now really sort of integrating themselves in the academic space. And we'll see this continue over the weeks ahead. The couple are really doing their research before setting up this, I would call, legacy project. They do want it to be their legacy, to be the thing that really puts their Sussex name firmly on the map, if it wasn't already as it is across the world Uh, they really want to make big changes and i'm very excited to hear what will happen with that Uh, some other achievements for them this week Uh, the invictus games was honored with a couple of awards in australia for its coverage during the sydney games which i was uh, there for as was abc news in 2018 when the couple did their tour of australia and new zealand so big congratulations to everyone there and Megan's Forces for Change issue of Vogue that she guest edited in the UK in September last year has gone on to become the fastest selling copy of the magazine in its 104 year history, selling out in just 10 days. It went, also went on to become the biggest selling issue of the magazine in the past decade. 
selling somewhere on the newsstands in the realm of 300 or so thousand copies which for the uk is a very large number uh the duchess of sussex released a previously unseen film celebrating this achievement on the sussex royal instagram account uh detailing some of the makings of the september issue it was actually filmed at british vogue editor-in-chief's Edward Enninfall's home in London and kind of gave us a bit of an insight into their rather playful relationship. In January, I got this um, text on my phone. I wanted to see if you would help me with Smartworks. Smartworks, yeah. Right? And so there we were having tea. I remember walking into Kenton Palace and I was so excited. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh, lovely to meet you. That's just, you're like, call me Megan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From January to now. Yeah how much we've been working on this and for me to just say yes you would help me on smartworks amazing maybe i could just push it just a little <laughs> bit more and see if mm-hmm. you'd be willing to let me guest edit yes please and i didn't know if anyone had ever done it before no. in the history of vogue you're the first you have an editor's eye i mean i, I i've never seen anything like it you were so thorough from beginning to end i mean well but i left the fashion stuff to you professionals <laughs> because i could say can you do commonwealth fashion can you do sustainability can we make sure the point of view is really in the right ethos and then i'll leave it to the experts you wanted to focus on women who are changing the world women who are doing incredible things yeah. which really is in line with what we do with british vogue yes and then having the mirror anyone no matter who they are picking up this issue should be able to see themselves in it and that's what I feel really proud that we've accomplished. No, oh, me too. That was Mr. Renninful and the Duchess of Sussex uh, reflecting on the Forces for Change cover. This was actually recorded back in August last year. And I think there was some confusion when it was posted on the Sussex Royal account that they had just filmed this, especially to mark this achievement. Uh, sources say that it was actually uh, within the palace, uh, a video that wasn't initially going to see the light of day. I think some people didn't agree that it should be aired uh, for whatever reason. Um, But now that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex are in control of things themselves, I think they felt like we should post it. Uh, And I'm glad they did. I think it's great to see this sort of more candid light side of them. Of course, we get very little insight into uh, how they work and how they are behind the scenes. It's always great to see. This week was also an incredibly important week for Camilla, the Duchess of Cornwall, who spoke to the Daily Mail about how some of her own friends have suffered from domestic violence and hearing the victim's stories uh, on her friend's side, but also through a charity that she's worked closely with, Safe Lives, uh, really compelled her to want to do more when it came to campaigning on behalf of abused women In the UK, we saw her host a reception at Clarence House, which is her London home, to mark the 15th anniversary of Safe Lies, a charity here in the UK which fights against uh, the rising epidemic of domestic abuse. Uh, The engagement brought together a number of women and survivors that the Duchess has met on previous engagements uh, and also was to celebrate the 15th anniversary of the charity itself and launch their Valentine's campaign, which is really celebrating uh, the courageous journey that many male and female survivors have been through. Joining me now is CEO of Safe Lives, Suzanne Jacob, who was with the Duchess of Cornwall at Clarence House this week for a very important engagement for the charity. Thanks so much for joining me, Suzanne. Thanks, Emmett. 
Uh, it's been quite a busy week for you guys. Uh, a, a, a big stage for you guys this week as well, because it has been wall-to-wall coverage on this engagement that the Duchess of Cornwall did with Safe Lives this week. A very important cause for her. Yeah, and we're we're really incredibly appreciative of of her willingness to engage with us, not just this week, but as you know, dating back now for four years, over four years, her engagement with the issue. Uh, with the survivors that we support, with us as a charity, uh, that means a great deal to us. And the ripple effect of that is extraordinary. We've had people contact us from all over the world since Wednesday to talk about what it means to them to see her take such a meaningful interest in what's going on in their lives and trying to make a difference. You mentioned that this relationship began back in 2016. How was it that the Duchess first learned about Safe Lives? Well, I think she she had expressed an interest to her advisors about the issue um, and they did very diligent work um, making sure that she was then introduced to a number of organisations with whom she might develop a conversation to learn more about the, the topic, more about the way organisations like ours work um, and to meet people who've had personal experiences. And of course, this week we saw her meet up with um, a number of women who've been involved with Safe Lives. Uh, This week, uh, the engagement was really tied into a Valentine's campaign uh, to celebrate the collective strength and resilience of thousands of male and female victims across the country. Uh, How long does it usually take to bring something like this together? I mean, presumably the relationship with the Duchess of Cornwall has continued behind the scenes since 2016. It's not always just at engagements that we see this working partnership. We've had the opportunity to engage a number of times since 2016. Uh, One of the things that we work on a great deal at Safe Lives is the need uh, to make sure that the response to domestic abuse isn't just held exclusively in the criminal justice system. And we're passionately... Uh, advocating for the need for the health system in particular to take a greater interest in domestic abuse and for domestic abuse to be treated as a public health problem as it so clearly is and it's so endemic. Uh, So we accompanied her on a visit to the Royal Stoke Hospital a couple of years ago so she could meet specialist workers, we call them IDVAs, Independent Domestic Violence Advisors, located in that hospital to see the difference it can make if you move that response into a health setting rather than have it based just in the community or indeed in a criminal justice setting. Uh, We also then engaged with her a couple of years ago now at the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting in London, uh, where she talked a little about the role of employers in identifying and responding what's going on for their employees and making sure that they're well supported so that people can stay in the workplace and in the workforce when they're having an experience of domestic abuse. So it's been a a long-running and extremely constructive conversation, um, and she has been able to highlight with us some of the things that we feel are most important. Um, And as I say, that has meant a great deal to survivors, all of whom have taken a lot of notice of the fact that she didn't just do this once, she didn't just do this twice, but this is a really important sustained theme for for her public work. 
And why do you think it is so important? Uh, we heard uh, candid remarks from the Duchess this week in the Daily Mail newspaper. She spoke about how this is an issue that affects everyone. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is. And she shared some sort of very in- important words in that interview. But you spent time with her yourself. What do you think it is that, that it makes her so passionate about this particular subject? Well, she very generously says that the contact with Safe Lives and with the survivors that we have brought her into contact with is the thing that really made the most significant difference to her. So in 2016, we we invited her to what was quite an experiential event uh, in which uh, some of the survivors, we call them pioneers, who we work with, had laid uh, in the middle of the room an item that had particular resonance for them and their experience that they had had and talked about uh, their experience from the perspective of of how that item um, was involved. And I think she was really, really moved by that experience, and that's what she's continued to to reflect on since, was the sheer uh, scale and severity of the issue really came home to her at that event and the dire impact on people's identity and innate humanity uh, really came home to her. And I think that's something which people who know less about domestic abuse sometimes wouldn't understand is that it's not just about cuts and bruises and physical manifestations of harm. It's also very much about the psychological impact on people that goes on for years, sometimes for decades after an experience is over And I think that touched her very personally and has stayed with her ever since. Mm -hmm. One of the things that really impressed me um, about the the Duchess's thoughts on this was when she spoke about that 2016 or that first meeting with Safe Lives, she came away thinking, what can we do about it? Rather than just sort of leaving um, and, and moving on to the next thing. We often associate members of the royal family with sort of cutting ribbons and we think it's very much about the pomp and pageantry. But for her, this is really about getting involved to make a difference. And as she says, to break down the stigma surrounding the subject of domestic violence, because of course, there is still such a strong taboo around it. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's such a, a wonderful thing for the the survivors who we connect with to understand and for our team to, to think about it. Safe Lives were a very practical organisation. Um, we actually leave quite a lot of the campaigning work to other organizations. We're more focused on that practical uh, change that can be achieved in local areas and then nationally. Mm. Um, And I think that, that, again, is something that felt quite important to her was a sense, as you say, of what can we actually do? How do we make this change? Um, And she really listened to the women who were in the room that day to understand what they felt positive Mm. change would look like. And this week we saw the Duchess reunited with uh, one of the women she'd met on a previous engagement, uh, Rachel Williams, a domestic abuse survivor who first moved Camilla to tears when they met four years ago. And uh, most recently they were able to talk about sort of how far she's come from then. Uh, it, it It stood out to me that Camilla had personally kept in touch with Rachel Williams since then. And have you seen this sort of extra effort made by the Duchess to really sort of be as hands-on and involved as possible? Well, she quoted Rachel in her speeches since the moment they first met in 2016. Uh, We arranged a visit for her with 
a colleague organization in New Zealand called Shine. And when she went to that organization, she quoted what she'd heard from Rachel. Uh, Rachel sent her her book uh, that Rachel wrote. They've been in touch about other things. Uh, I know that Rachel wrote to her about the phenomenal conference that Rachel ran for survivors um, all across the UK last year, in which hundreds of survivors came together to lift their voices, to speak about their experiences and to draw strength from each other. And through all of that, Rachel and the Duchess do appear to have made a very personal connection, which is incredible. Mm. You mentioned that uh, the impact from Wednesday's engagement had already seen people reaching out from different parts of the world. How important is it for an organisation like Safe Lives to have a member of the royal family or someone in a prominent position shining that spotlight on the work that you're doing? I think it's tremendously important. Um, that public position is uh, is a very important thing and the royal family do resonate for people all over the world. And so to to adopt this as an issue and us as an organisation that she feels she wants to speak about on a public platform and to use her public platform to draw attention is an incredible thing because it would be very easy not to do that or to only think about causes and issues which are perhaps a bit sort of safer in Mm. people's minds. And it's incredibly important that we don't treat issues like domestic abuse as if they've got to be kept out of public sight and out of view. Bad things go on behind closed doors because they're behind closed doors, because they're secret. And the more that people with a public profile, as well as those of us in the charity sector and, and other parts of the community can raise that, the more we chip away at the kind of monster of secrecy Mm. that lives around domestic abuse and helps it to happen. And of course, there is still so much work to be done. I mean, I was reading some of the statistics here, at least two women are killed each week in the UK by current or former partners, and more than two million reports, and it's important to emphasise reports, domestic abuse each year, What is on the horizon for Safe Lives? How much work is there to be done? uh, And and, and what is sort of happening for the rest of this year for you guys? Yeah, there's a huge amount to be done. And, you know, that two million people who had an experience last year, as reported to the Crime Survey England and Wales, only one fifth of those will ever call the police. Yeah. So we know that there's this giant gap between what's going on in the criminal justice system and what's, you know, what else is going on for people. So for us as an organization, we will continue to try and make sure that every single survivor is able to come forward, no matter what their background, identity, characteristics, and that they get the support that they need as fast as possible, because we know there's still far too much delay in the system when people do try to speak out. We want to make sure that specialist provisions available wherever you are in the UK and that there isn't a sort of... um, need to travel great distances to get the help that you need we also want to challenge perpetrators to change and to stop we're not going to get to the root cause of this problem until those individuals who use harmful behaviors in their relationships are challenged to change and to stop and so that's vitally important to us and then finally i guess you know what we increasingly want to do as an organization is push upstream to stop harm before it happens to make sure that people understand, you know, whether that's young people or, you know, those of us who are a bit older, 
that these are not acceptable behaviours and what does good look mm. like in our relationships. Of course, this week's engagements mark the 15th anniversary of Safe Lives. Is there more work uh, between yourself and the Duchess of Cornwall coming up on the horizon? Can we see any more collaborations? Well, we certainly hope so. We know what huge demands she has on her time. Um, but we feel that we forged a really fantastic relationship. And I think the response that we've seen to that engagement this week really underlines that. So I hope in all of the things that we need to take forward as an organisation, and there are so many, as you say, um, that we will be able to continue to count her as a friend. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us, Suzanne. Thanks, Omid. And if you or someone you know is experiencing domestic abuse, you can reach out, if you're in the UK, to the National Domestic Violence Hotline on 0808 2247. And if you're in the US, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that we'll be hearing some candid remarks from the Duchess of Cambridge on motherhood. And uh, just announced today by Kensington Palace, uh, Kate has taken part in a very special episode of a motherhood podcast called Happy Mum, Happy Baby, uh, which is presented by a blogger and author, Giovanna Fletcher, here in the UK. It's a podcast that focuses on the early years of motherhood, parenthood, and a child's first experiences in its lives. Uh, has gained quite a cult following uh, within the parenting community and was first noticed by the Duchess of Cambridge when she began the launch of her five big questions on the under fires. We spoke about that and the success of that at the beginning of the show. But as well as hearing about other people's experiences as mothers, she was very keen to talk about her own. I and a number of uh, royal correspondents in the UK were invited to Kensington Palace this week to hear a preview of this podcast. It's about 35 minutes. And we really get to hear the Duchess talk passionately uh, about not just the work that she's doing, but her own experiences of motherhood. Uh, the conversation took place sometime in January at an engagement in London, which Kate met Giovanna, the podcast host, for a frank and warming conversation covering all aspects of parenthood. Of course, the early years episode that Kate took part in discusses the five big questions, but it also talks about recognizing that everyone has a role in ensuring strong healthy foundations for the youngest in our society and how that positively affects their lifelong outcomes. Now the podcast doesn't drop until this weekend but it was great to hear some remarks from Kate. She spoke about parts of her own childhood that she'd want to give to her children, talking about some of the experiences that she had and some of the things that she would have taught herself if she knew what she knew now. Uh, one of the things that really stood out to me, she spoke about the quality of relationships and uh, her own experiences with her grandmother growing up who devoted a lot of time to her playing with her doing art arts and crafts. She spoke about going to the greenhouse to do gardening, cooking with her and incorporating a lot of those experiences that she had with her into the experiences that she has with her children is really what makes sort of a special time for them now. I think what really stood out in this was just Kate speaking from the heart. We don't often get to hear her speak on engagements unless it's through a speech. Of course, we have heard her speak in interviews in the past, but 
I would say that there was probably a lack of candidness in those conversations. And as the interview with Giovanna progresses, we really hear Kate talking from the heart about motherhood. She talks about how it has been challenging at times and how her first pregnancy with Prince George was the toughest experience of her life. She said that she was actually quite excited about giving birth because it meant the end of that chapter of course as we know as we saw well documented that she suffered from serious serious morning sickness but we also heard her talk about the struggles of parenthood how there isn't always that confidence that you see others have uh, in your own parenting skills and it was really refreshing to hear her speak about you know we see on from the outside that her family life looks perfect but she spoke about some of the struggles that her and William have faced and how they've really had to work hard to find confidence in raising their own children. She shared a few fun anecdotes about the first time that her and William had to take Prince George home from the Lindo Wing Hospital in London and how William had been feverishly practicing away at home Uh, swaddling a doll and putting it into a car seat in the car so he got it right in front of the press and of course that moment that we saw him swing the crib into the back of the car and clip it into the seat and drive back to Kensington Palace whilst it looked perfect it was actually very very rehearsed and I think that's really the takeaway message from this is that parenting for everyone, no matter what your background, is difficult and it can be extremely challenging. But I think that hearing people like Kate talk about her own struggles probably makes the couple much more relatable. You know, they do live a very different life to the rest of us. And I think that that was really the takeaway from this podcast is that no matter what your background is, where you come from, being a parent is not easy and that it is really important to get that support that you need for the experience that you have. And as Kate said in the conversation that she had with Giovanna Fletcher, she says, it's going to take a long time. I'm talking about generational change, but hopefully this is the first small step to start a conversation around the importance of early childhood development. She says, it's not just about happy, healthy children. This is for lifelong consequences and outcomes. I think it's great to see her finally found something that she is so passionate about and doing things in a slightly more unique way. I think turning up for engagements is great. We get the photos, we get the great footage of her interacting with people in different locations. But actually by doing something like a podcast, which isn't on video, and I think that it was very purposely not done on video because Kate can feel quite shy in front of the camera, we got to hear a much more laid-back Duchess than we're used to hearing. And I'm all for this. I really want to hear more of this, Kate, moving forward. I think it's uh, about time because... You know, we've spoken so much, we've read so much about how she has this sort of newfound confidence for the work that she's doing. And so it's great to actually see it in action. So if you do want to check out that podcast, it will be available, I believe, from the end of Saturday. If you search for Happy Mum, Happy Baby on whatever podcast platform you use, 
it will be out there. Definitely well worth a listen. And if you want to take part in Kate's five big questions survey, I do believe there are a few days left to do it in. So head over to five, that's the number five, bigquestions.org.uk. And that just about wraps us up for this week. We will be seeing more of the Sussexes very soon. We've heard from the Palace that their final engagements as working members of the royal family will be taking place in early March. That will be an appearance, at least by Harry, at the Mountbatten Festival of Music at the Royal Albert Hall. We saw the couple there last year, and this is an event that features the bands of Her Majesty's Royal Marines, uh, usually takes place over two nights. Uh, Prince Harry, uh, Meghan TBC will appear at this event. It will be one of their last, probably a poignant event for Harry as well, because of course, by giving up his role as a senior member of the royal family, he's also giving up his military honours, and that includes his affiliation with the Marines. And then on March the 10th, we will see the couple... Harry is confirmed, Meghan is expected to be alongside him uh, at Westminster Abbey on Commonwealth Day. Of course, they do keep their roles as the President and Vice President of the Queen's Commonwealth Trust. The service that takes place at Westminster Abbey is attended by heads of government and representatives of the 54 countries and 2.4 billion citizens of the Commonwealth. As an, I would say... Uh, meaningful final engagement for the couple as uh, their last ever as senior members of the royal family. I hear from sources that they will be taking meetings throughout their time here in London with their different patronages. Of course, they do continue that work moving forward. And I would imagine a lot of the conversations moving forward will be to discuss how they work with those patronages when much of their time will be spent away in North America. So exciting times up ahead. We'll also be hearing much more about the Cambridges' forthcoming travel plans. There were rumours this week that they would be attending coastal areas of Australia for a tour focusing on the relief efforts taking place during the bushfires at the moment. Uh, We heard word from the Prime Minister's office in Canberra that the couple received their formal invite this week. The palace are remaining silent on whether the Cambridges will be attending. I think there were rumours that it may happen as soon as next month. Uh, From what I'm hearing, it may not happen until next year. But they do have other travel coming up ahead, including a visit to Ireland that's just been announced in March. That's from March the 3rd until March the 5th, three days of the Cambridges on the road, another trip coming up in April. I think it's fair to say that the Royals are going to be keeping us all, and you guys, very busy for the next few months. Thank you again for listening. As always, do keep the comments coming. If you want to reach out, just use the hashtag TheAirPod on Twitter, and I will be scanning for your messages uh, before the next episode. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for all the help that always comes every week from New York, Leighton Schneider, Mike Dubusky, and everyone else that helps make this show happen uh, and sound somewhat presentable, because believe it or not, uh, there is lots of editing that takes place. (laughs) Thank you again. Take care, everyone. See you next week.